Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. I just want to invite you in to encounter the King with us. Um, He's calling people home, and that's really the gospel message in a sense. It's like uh, God's just saying, what are you doing out there? Why don't you come back home? Like, that's the message of the gospel. Remember that old commercial, um, Motel 6? Uh, The old boy would leave the light on for you. It's like God has left a proverbial universal light on that no matter where you're at or no matter how far you feel from God, that actually the light is still on if you'll turn around and just go back home. And that's what the whole Easter message is really, really about. I want to just kind of talk a little bit today about just how pervasive the gospel message really is. Like, um, when everything was created, as God created everything and, and put everything into order, He put it in order, in a sense, to declare His glories and to let everyone know kind of what His plan was. Like, we look at the world and sometimes it's kind of hard to see God. But what happens is, is we have to have these filters or these kind of blinders that we see the world through. And it sometimes makes it hard to see God into things. But what I've found is that the Holy Spirit comes by and He can take those blinders off. And when He takes those blinders off, suddenly you can see God in everything and in everywhere. Um, I went to the Grand Canyon. Everybody ever been to the Grand Canyon? Um, you know, I, so I was like, who would want to go to a giant hole? <laughs> and I went to the Grand Canyon and... It was more than a giant hole. I just wept at how small I was and was just overwhelmed with the majesty of God and how big He is. I can be anywhere at certain times and just be struck with just the presence of God. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that uh, Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers. That he's put believers in this position, unbelievers in a position to where he's trying to keep them from seeing how easy it actually is to come to the Lord. To get them caught in pursuits that mean nothing. To get them caught into things that that would end to an end of destruction no matter how good it feels in the moment. That that like Satan is trying to, to get you to think it's impossible for you to come to God. It's impossible for you to serve God. It's impossible for you to ever come near. And the actually the exact opposite is the truth. Do you want to know how to know the truth and how to not know the truth? You ready? If Satan says it, it's a lie. Okay? If Satan says it, it's actually the exact opposite. So if the whisper in your ear says that sin is better than God, or that you're too far, or that you can't turn around, I'm going to tell you, the exact opposite is actually true. That God is as close as the mention of His name, and that He's after you. He's after you. He's actually trying to get you to turn around every moment of every day to find him but we have to unbelieve the lie that it's too dark and we're too far it's a lie it's an absolute lie 
So when God created the universe, he, he created this special place. So the Bible says that he, in Eden, he planted a garden east of Eden. Okay? That when you read the scriptures, there'll be themes that are mentioned over and over and over and over. And it's trying to point us to a greater reality. And so there's this theme in the scripture where east is mentioned several different times. But God begins to plant this garden, the Bible says, east of Eden. And when he plants this garden in the east of Eden, it's going to be this kind of garden temple place where humanity and God were going to be able to walk in relationship together. Um, there was, it reads in the scriptures that it's almost like a fruit orchard. It's like an orchard of fruit trees. And the fruit is just falling off. Like, you don't even have to work for it. It's just like, bloop, there it is. Bloop, there it is. It's just everywhere. And God's creating this, this kind of garden temple. And then Adam and Eve and humanity are kind of this, these high priests. They're these people that God tells to, to multiply and to increase and, and to begin to move into this reality of this exchange of relationship of His image bearers being created in His image. And that they would, through their relationship with one another, they would learn how to rule the way God rules. And they would begin to learn the goodness of God and His character and as they would begin to be fruitful and multiply that as that the, they begin to get fruitful and multiply that the garden itself would begin to multiply and what was planted east of Eden was actually meant to overtake the entire world until the whole world become the garden temple the place where humanity and God would dwell together in a perfect redeemed world But how many of you know something happened? See, what had happened was, <clears throat> you ever been in one of those? Them too. And they buy the lie of Satan as if his way is going to lead to more life. And they take of the tree, the Bible says, of the knowledge of good and evil. And they reject the tree of life. So the tree of knowledge of good and evil would represent this. That I don't need God to lead my life. I can decide what is good and bad. And that's how I'll view the whole world. And I'll distance myself from the life and relationship with Him. And I'll go my own way. Some of us have taken of that tree. And said, I can define what is good and bad for my life. But what happens is, when you remove yourself from the life of the good, and you take the good from the life, suddenly, you don't know how to handle what's good or bad. And what eventually happens is, that which is bad, you convince yourself that it's good. And that which is good, you justify and say, oh, that must be bad. It's that we lose our compass. We lose our bearing and direction and way. But I want to give you some good news is that God's got a good compass to get us back. Come on now. God's got a good plan to get humanity back 
on track. See, when we think about directions, do you ever remember the compass in, in uh, social studies, right? And you see your directions, and you, how did you learn it? Never eat soggy waffles. I did salty watermelon, I think, and I've even did soggy worms. Matter of fact, I might have even made up some more that we couldn't mention in church when I was in school, but the bearing was always defined the way we grew up was you need to find true north. In the ancient world, they were oriented a completely different way. Remember that theme of east throughout the scriptures that I was talking about? That they oriented themselves towards the east. Now, what comes up in the east? Oh, a sun rises in the east. Interesting. So that they would use all their bearings would actually be to face towards the east because if I could figure out east, I can figure out anywhere else I need to go. Or maybe this way. If I can see the sun come up, then I can see every other direction that I need to go in my life. So God plants this garden east of Eden, and Adam and Eve, they drop the ball. And so God kicks them out. But God doesn't kick them out because they're just so gross and hideous that He just can't look at them. He puts them out of the garden to preserve the idea that they're still going to become a place, a place where God and man will meet, and that this idea of Eden is still going to go forward. See, God puts man and humanity out of the garden because if they stayed in there, in that state, they would have turned the garden into the rest of the world. Is that okay? And if they would have stayed in there, in that state, they would have polluted it. So God says, I've got to protect the idea and begin to start the process of what it's going to take to get humanity back into that garden, back into that space where we, through relationship with each other, can send humanity directly to the exact place that I have for them to go. Place of abundance and multiplication in the good things of God. So when he sends them out, they leave through what the Bible says, the east gate. And the cherubim, he puts a cherubim there and a flaming sword. Two cherubim, flaming sword, guarding the idea. Guarding the preserved place until the appointed time where men could go back in. So the idea is still looming over us. Where something in us, have you ever got mad at the Lord because something bad happened? Let's just be real. Can we just be real? Yeah. And then what we do with that sometimes is we just kind of put God aside and think that that's going to make it better. How many of you know? Did it get better when you do that? Do you get more peace and joy when you do that? Of course not. So what is that in us that says that wasn't right? What is it on the inside of us that says that shouldn't have happened like that? I can tell you what it is. 
It's the inner yearnings that God's put on the inside of you that says something better's got to be out there. And sometimes the pain of death or the pain of loss will be the thing that God gets a hold of us and shakes us to our core so that we will persevere to the idea of Eden and that we would begin to continue to journey with Him. So they get put out on the east gate. And as they leave the east gate, notice the gate is on the east. I don't know about you, but it seems like a garden would just be able to go any which way to leave. But there's an east gate. In other words, there's one way in. There's one way out. One way into the temple. One way out. So we begin to see this theme of east, of this garden facing east. And Adam and Eve are put out. And then we see in Genesis chapter 4, here comes, remember, be fruitful and multiply. Now we have Cain and Abel. First murder. What was aimed at multiplication begins to slip into death. And do you know what happens to Cain after he kills Abel? The Bible says he goes east and goes into the land of Nod to find a wife. And slowly we see the garden starting here and this theme of going east getting further and further from the intentions and plans that God would have for humanity. So suddenly the Garden of Eden seems like the distance is too far to trek. Too far to journey. How in the world are we going to get back? Remember what I told you. The whole earth is... Projecting and proclaiming the gospel of God. And I'm going to show you in the scriptures where this is. So God has set up a sign, a covenant between us so that we never get too lost and we know how to get back home. No matter how far east we might have drifted. So when God created the universe, He created it partnering with Christ. Bible says the, the earth was created for Him, by Him, through Him, and to Him all things were made. But that Jesus would be the center of it all. So what comes up in the east? Oh, a sun rises in the east. Hmm, I wonder what the universe is trying to tell us here. That no matter how far east I get... I still see a rising sun that goes overhead. And if I keep my eyes on it, it's trying to lead me back to the reality of that which is Eden. That even the universe shows us what's at the center. In our galaxy, what do the planets rotate around? The sun. Might have some flat earthers in here, but that's... That's okay. We'll preach to you too. I'll figure it out with you. That there is the sun and that everything that lives would rotate and be faced towards Him. And the gravity of that sun would pull everything into orbit where that He would always be the center of all things. So no matter how far you get from God or how dark it seems to get, every morning there's another sunrise. 
Every morning there's another promise. That's why the Bible says that His mercies are new every Why? Because every morning the sun comes up, another gospel is being preached to you. That you don't have That you don't have to live that kind of life that God is showing you through the whole solar system what it is to come back to Him and to come back home. That God's put a compass in the earth that no matter how lost you think you are, the sun still comes up every single morning. And some of you are getting mornings by mornings by mornings by mornings. And He's saying, would you just come back home? Would you leave exile? Can you get out of Babylon and come back to Eden? The place where I want to meet with you. Know you in relationship. And you partner with me to redeem the entire universe. He's calling us on this mission. That as we move east... The further we get east, the closer we're getting to the sun. (laughs) So this temple idea, this place, this meeting place with God gets reestablished through Abraham. And in Abraham, it's his family's tent. So it's just big enough for Abraham and his family. But then it increases when it gets to Moses and it takes up about an acre. And it's called the tabernacle of God. It's a place where Moses and The children of Israel would be the center of all things. And so when they camped about the tabernacle, they would all camp around it and they all were facing whichever direction they were, their tribe was ordered to camp. They were all facing the tabernacle because it was the center of everything. It was like when my relationship with God is right, everything else begins to work out the way it's supposed to work. That if we're going to have victory, it's because we're facing the presence of God in our life. That if we're going to be blessed, it's going to be because we're facing God in our life. That if we're going to accomplish the mission that God has for us on this earth, that my tent, that my house would be facing the presence of God. And so guess which way Moses' tabernacle faced? I'm going to give you a hint. East. <laughs> okay, it's going to be that answer every time, okay? Just, just go with it. East. Okay, say it with me. East. Okay, one more time. East. Oh, come on. I need one more. Okay, you got it. Okay, you got it. You got it. So the tabernacle facing east. Now guess which tribe is smack dab in the middle of two other tribes on the east? Judah. And who comes out of Judah? Jesus. So it's like, here's Judah, and out of Judah, do you remember Balaam's prophecy? A star is going to rise up out of Israel and begin to lead them back to the presence of God. So the same language in Isaiah 11 where it says that a root of Jesse or a root of David is going to spring forth. It's the same word for when the sun rises. 
So this idea of like Judah facing east, that, that a man's going to come out of Judah and he's going to rise up and he's going to begin to lead the people of God and show them how to get back to the presence of God in the place where men and God would live together. So I want you to think about this. If this was facing east, then what was the first thing that would come up every morning? The sun. And as the sun began to make its trajectory from the east to the west, it would shine on every part making its way back through to get all the way into the holy place. So as it rose up, the first thing it shined on, you know what it was? The altar. See it? It would shine on the altar. And it was showing us that the sun was going to come and make himself a sacrifice to make us pure enough to go a little bit further. And then it would shine on the bronze laver. That was the place where the priest would wash up and make sure there was nothing on them that was impure. And then it would go on into the holy place. But before, as the sun was hitting its trajectory, it would be directly over the most holy place, the place where God dwelt. So we see this imagery of a sun rising, making a way to help us get back to sacred space and to live with God forever. So that every single morning... God was preaching the gospel to all of humanity. That every day you wake up and that sun crests the hill, do you know what God says? Run it back, they didn't get it this time. Every time it gets sets in the west and it gets dark again, he says, run it back, they didn't get it this time. That God is giving you endless chances, endless days, new mercies every morning on the chance that you might finally get out of exile, get out of the east, follow the sun, look up above your head and go back west and go back to the place where God wants to meet with his people again. Like that that's why the universe exists. It exists to point humanity back to the place where they're supposed to go. The presence of God. That's why you're here. And if Satan can get you chasing vain pursuits, he'll get you. I had friends that I would witness to Say, Matt, that's good for you, man. But, you know, I'll come to God one of these old days. Say, when I'm 80 years old at my lake house on a rocking chair and I've pursued every endeavor I want to pursue. And right before I'm about to take my last breath, I'll go, Jesus! And I'm going to make it into glory with the King of Kings. I just think, how stupid... You're not going to play God like some slot machine. I know we're in hot springs, but you're not going to pull a lever and get in like that. That Jesus is not an, a, an entity to be manipulated and pulled upon. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords.
Like that's how you get in. That you would come in through the door of relationship, not in the door of manipulation. That's Satan's business. I think you're going to... We get mad at like witchcraft, but how many magical spells have we said to God that we never meant? We called it the sinner's prayer, but it's probably something demonic. If I chant this back, God, you're going to just... God's saying, I don't work like that. I'm relational. I'm wanting to draw you into something eternal. And some of us feel like we're in so much darkness... And it's because we've let something get between us and the sun. And I want to submit to you, it's not darkness that, you can, that you're in, because you can't have a shadow without light coming behind it. That the evidence that you see darkness is the evidence that there's light shining too. And so this shadow that you are seeing is just because you haven't yet turned around. And followed the sun and got face to face with him and let him shine in your life. So in the scripture that we read in Romans chapter 10, it's like this is what Paul is proclaiming. And he says in chapter 10 verse 14, how are they to call on the one in whom they've not believed in? And how are they to believe in the one they've not heard of? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching to them? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how timely is the arrival of those who proclaim the good news. But not all have obeyed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Verse 17, consequently, faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the preached word of Christ. Now watch this, you ready? But I ask, have they not heard? Listen to what he says. Yes, they have. Now watch what he quotes here. He quotes Psalm 19, verse 4. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Do you know what Psalms 19 is talking about? It's talking about the heavens declaring the glory of God. God is saying they get to hear the gospel every single day because every single day the sun comes up and is proclaiming the new mercies of God that He's not done with you, that He's not done with the earth, that it's never going to get too dark, that the sun's not going to shine and come up. Now watch this, Psalm 19 verse 1. For the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky displays His handiwork. Day after day it speaks out. Night after night it reveals His greatness. There is no actual speech or word nor its voice literally heard. Yet its voice echoes throughout the earth. Its words carry to the distant horizon. In the sky He has pitched a tent for the sun like a bridegroom emerges from its chamber like a strong man enjoys running its course it emerges from the distant horizon and goes from one end of the sky to the other get this nothing can escape its heat 
you don't believe me? Come back in August and we'll shake it off together. That Paul pulls David's psalm from Psalm 19 and begins to, every morning he wakes up, he begins to get the vision of what God's going to do to redeem all things. Oh, a son's going to come from obscurity and it's going to sprout up like a little shoot. And it's going to look small and insignificant. But it's going to keep going up and keep getting hotter and keep getting brighter. And that every morning, David is reliving the gospel story. And Paul grabs that language and says, Oh, wow. People have heard the gospel. How have they heard? The sun comes up every morning. Maybe little orphan Annie got the gospel better than any of us. The sun will come out. Oh, just hit your neighbor and say, quit being religious and just laugh a little bit. What's wrong with you? Golly. We better wrap this up. It's getting off the rails. So that the sun would be a picture that God's always left the light on that we can go back home. And that all we have to do is quit looking down. Look ahead. Look up and to see that God still has us in his plans. I think about the prodigal son. He leaves his father's house. This is how Jesus tells in Luke 15. He tells these stories of how lost things get found. And he tells the story of a prodigal son. And this man said, ah, I don't want to live in dad's house. I don't like his rules and what he's got going on. I'm going this way. I'm going my own way. And the father gives him his inheritance. Well, it's not long until he's spent everything that he has. And the Bible says that he has to start working in a pig pen. And as he's in this pig pen, the Bible tells us that he's jealous of what the pigs have to eat. That he's stirred to jealousy because the pigs got it better than him. Yeah. But every morning, when he goes to that pig pen to go to work, There's the sun. Oh, it's pointing me back to dad's house. <sighs> Maybe. Oh, not today, not today. Next morning, slopping the hogs. Now, I don't know what they did back then, or whatever, however they did that. Sun comes up. Oh, yeah. It's kind of shining the way back to dad's house. And every morning, 
like clockwork. God's saying it's not too dark. You're not too far. The Father's heart's still for you. Every morning, God's running back this beautiful, synchronized symphony of nature to where the sun comes up. And I don't know if you're trying to sleep in, it's not too cool, but it's kind of cool when you want to enjoy it. But you've all heard the birds. And if you're trying to sleep in, you're like, idiot birds. But if you're not and you get up with the sun, you're like, oh my gosh, it's a symphony of heaven. That the heavens are declaring His glory. And then creation starts declaring their glory. And so then the question becomes, so why don't I? Why don't I join in the symphony and start following the sun and begin to let a praise out towards heaven? That would suck! Yeah. So every morning the sun comes up. Finally he says, well, since that sun's going home, maybe this sun should go home. And instead of someday, he starts reciting Sunday. See, some of you keep saying, oh, someday. Oh, someday. Oh, one day. When I get braver and bolder. No, you won't. Let me tell you, don't get braver and bolder. You get weaker and more foolish and you just find out God's stronger than you are. Like that's how it even works. You're waiting on like to be hit with a magic spell of like boldness or like whatever. And it's like, it doesn't work like that. It works with weak, broken people that just get so tired of where they're at that they say, I'm going to come to God and I'm going to come in underneath His glory and I'm going to trust that I'm not going to be put to sunder, but that He's going to actually build me up. Like that's the death you have to die. To go to the place you're the most scared to go. Where? The presence of God presence of God every morning son finally the son decides to come back home and guess who's there to meet him the father <laughs> oh, he's already rehearsed his speech alright I'm going to tell dad I'm going to be a servant I don't expect to be a son again And he's working it all out the whole journey and when the dad sees him crest the hill, he takes off running. <laughs> he runs. And when he starts the servant speech, he doesn't even listen to them. He just falls on his neck and weeps and kisses and embraces him. Because all God is worried about is not your rehearsed speech or how well you can repent. He just wants you to get back in His house. Back under the tent with Him. Back in the place where you can have relationship with one another. It's like, what's God up to? He just wants to be with you. It's funny, people get used and manipulated and can't leave in a God that doesn't want anything from them other than just to love them they can't seem to find it's the level of our lostness God says take the blinders off I know it hurts your eyes but stare at the sun 
Stare at the sun till you quit looking out of these eyes and start looking out of these eyes. Till you're consumed with his glory. So then there's a twist, okay? There's a twist in this thing. As the sun is this kind of clockwork thing, Jesus shows up. And so the sun doesn't just go on its trajectory. The sun stops its trajectory and comes to us. The Bible says that Jesus comes and lives among us and tabernacles with us. That he says these things like, out of my belly will flow rivers of living water. And that out of him would be streams that would find every lost and dark, bleak place and would heal it. He's hearkening there to Ezekiel 47 where Ezekiel is in exile. He's in the east. He's in Babylon. And in the east in Babylon, he gets this vision of a river that flows from the temple of God. And it starts as just a little trickle near the throne. And guess which direction the temple faces? East. Hey, come on. Get it, J.D. And that trickle starts to turn into a stream. And then the stream turns into a river. And God tells Ezekiel to get in. He gets in and it's like ankle deep. It's like, all right, get out. Let's keep going. It's still going. He goes a little further and then all of a sudden it's like waist high. Then all of a sudden he gets back in and he's like overcame with it. And he finds this river and it flows into the Dead Sea. And as this river touches the Dead Sea, the place where nothing can live, suddenly it becomes the most popular fishery in the universe. Teeming with life. That the living waters actually came to you to meet you where you're at to guide you back home. So what's God up to? What does He want from me? He wants to love on you. He wants to heal you. He wants to touch every hurt and every spot you've been afraid to let go of and give to Him. He wants to meet you right there in that crossroads of your deepest pain and say, I'm here. I'm with you. I'm shining on you. <sighs> when Jesus says that his message when he comes onto the earth is the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of the kingdom, he says, is repent and believe that the kingdom of God has come near. Come near there is the same language that's used in the Old Testament for sacrifice. So here's what he's saying. What were the sacrifices? The sacrifices in the Old Testament were gifts to bring people closer to him. That every sacrifice was bringing them a little bit closer. So when Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come to you, he's basically saying, Eden is right here standing in front of you. If you'll just walk in. If you'll follow the sun and just go in. 
So that sounds too easy. You're getting it. You're getting it. It's the Bible for dummies. Get in! Stop! Turn around! Go in! The hell that way! Uh, heaven this way! Stop! Go! Like, that's the gospel! Maybe, but he's pretty good. <sighs> Lord, we just love you. <sighs> oh, God, if this was just for one, maybe it would be worth it. But God, I pray that we would lay our pride aside and become like children <laughs> and run into Jesus. <laughs> Religion has made us afraid to. The gospel is about whosoever calls on the name of the Lord. The same shall be saved. So, Lord, infuse my friends with hope. <sighs> Send your Holy Spirit to convict, <laughs> to draw, to affirm, to establish, and to seal. We ask that you come. Every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, I need to get my life right with God. I want you to put your hand up right where you're at. You need to come home. Amen. Amen. It's time to come home. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. If you raise your hand, I want you to stand to your feet. Stand right there. Be bold. Be, bold. Be brave for King Jesus. Amen. Anybody else? Time to come home. Time to come home. Time to come home. Amen. Time to come home. That's all it is. Just come back home. Anybody else? You tired of running? Tired of running? I get it. Won't you just get so tired of running you stop? pleading with you I'm not too proud to beg because this is heaven or hell this is eternity it's important anybody else stand to your feet stand to your feet yeah 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 you, those of you that are standing would you come down to the front we don't want to make a show, but we just want, we want to pray for you. We want to welcome you in like this is what it's about. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org 
or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.